Yesterday, they did deliver our next loft house to Ensenada, Mexico. So thank you for all those folks that were involved in that. Fantastic. Uh, these are simple homes where they change the lives of many families. And so uh, another exciting part of the missions component of our church and not only the fact that we're impacting through our missionaries, people around the world, but right down the road here in Ensenada, making a difference in the lives of people through these uh, loft houses. Let's pray together as we talk to our Heavenly Father. Lord, it's just good to slow down and talk to you. Thank you, Father, that uh, you are right here with us. Thank you, Lord, that you've changed our lives. Thank you, Jesus, that you came, died on the cross for us, and rose again. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you live inside of us. Lord, I pray that as we open up your word, that our hearts would be ready to receive it. That we would be ready to receive it, Lord, that we'd be teachable this morning. And so we commit this time to you. Thank you for uh, my brothers and sisters that are here this morning. Pray, God, that you'd unite us around you and who you are and what you've done. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we are in a series entitled Ordinary Superheroes of the Old Testament. We're going through a chronological study of the Old Testament, highlighting the major people of the Old Testament. We began with Adam and Eve and uh, talked about the fall of mankind. Then we went on to Abel and his offering of faith. Then on to Noah, who built a huge boat 510 feet long as we build the chronology of the redemptive story of God. Then we went on to the Tower of Babel and how they built this tower to make a name for themselves, not to glorify God. Then our first week of Abraham and our study of his life talked about his failure of faith, how he didn't trust God, but tried to deceive the Egyptian Pharaoh, and, and he was rebuked for it. But then the week after that, last week, we talked about his amazing victory of faith as he was challenged to offer up Isaac and he went all the way to the point of lifting up his knife, and God stopped him. We talked about the beautiful part of that story being this, that on that same mountain 2,000 years later, God would offer up his son, Jesus Christ, for our sins. What he did not allow Abraham to do, God the Father did himself by offering up his own son as a sacrifice to set us free from the penalty of our sin. It's a beautiful story. Today we're going to talk about Isaac. Abraham's son, the son of promise. And, and we're going to talk about this, promoting peace. I liked what one commentator said about Isaac. He was the first apostle of peace. I thought that was interesting. The first messenger, if you will, of peace, who lived out peace and sought peace with those around him. Here's the bottom line of our talk today. Making peace and living in peace. With those around you is the quality of someone who lives for God. There are those who refuse to make peace or live peacefully. We know that. There are people who are just contentious and argumentative, and no matter what you do, they're not going to live in peace. But here's the reality. But that should not stop us from doing what we can to promote peace and avoid causing unnecessary conflict with others. There's the key, right? unnecessary conflict with others. Hey, when we take a stand for Jesus Christ and people don't like it, that's a necessary conflict, amen? We cannot avoid that. We can't avoid taking a stand for the Lord and there are people that don't like it. That's okay. But if I'm an argumentative, contentious, selfish person and I'm causing conflict with people around me, that's unnecessary. You don't have to live like that. You can change. 
And with that in mind, I'd like you to turn your Bibles to Genesis 26. I think my mistake, your notes uh, say Genesis 25. It was my transcribing error. Uh, it's Genesis 26, all the way through your notes. So wherever you see Genesis 25, it's Genesis 26, okay? So let's go to Genesis 26. Uh, if you look at the chapter, uh, it's an amazing chapter. God reaffirms the covenant that he made with Abraham, and he does it with Isaac. Uh, you can see that in verse 3 and 4. I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. I'll multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and will give to you offspring of these, of these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. But things went wrong. There were some things that happened. Um, in fact, Isaac had a similar story to Abraham. Uh, he was living in the promised land in Gerar, and he, confronted, he was confronted by Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, and he lied about his wife, Rebekah, and said that she was his sister, just like Abraham had done. So just like his dad. Jump down to verse 12, and again, he was rebuked for what he did. Verse 12, but God still blessed him, right? And Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him, and the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks, herds, and many servants. So the Philistines envied him. Now here's the thing. Now the Philistines had stopped and filled with earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father. So the Philistines didn't like Isaac and his family and what Abraham had done. When Abraham had built all these wells and they filled them all up to try to get Isaac and his family to leave. And Abimelech said to Isaac, go away from us for you are much mightier than we. See, God had blessed Isaac. He was a strong man. He had servants. He had wealth. So Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham his father, which the Philistines had stopped after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the names that his father had given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of spring water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the name of the well Esek, which means contention. There was contention there because they contended with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled with him over that. So he called the name of that well Sitna, which means enmity, uh, uh, dislike, hatred. And he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth, which means room. Finally, there's room for us here. For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. I'm going to stop there. I love what Isaac does. He's not looking for a fight. He's moving into the land of Gerar, and there the herdsmen of Gerar are jealous of the fact that he's getting these wells, and the wells are feeding his flock, and, and yet they felt like it was taking from their water. They didn't want him there. They wanted him out. And instead of, he's a mighty man. Remember, he had power, he had strength, he had wealth. He could have contended with them, but he didn't. I like what the Word of God says. Uh, Jesus said this, 
peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. In the lives of the believers, we should have a peace that the world does not have. And when Isaac began to grow in strength and in power and in wealth, being blessed by God, the people in Israel did not like it. In fact, he moved into the Valley of Gerar. I'm going to zoom in on that Israel map right by the Dead Sea to the west of the Dead Sea where the valleys of Gerar. And the people there did not like Isaac bringing in his flocks and taking what they perceived to be his water or their water. They wanted him out. We don't like you digging wells. We want you out of here. And here's the thing I see in the life of Isaac, which I think is an important reminder for us. When faced with potential conflict... Humbly accept the possibility that you played a part in causing it. Now, the reality was this. You can dig a well in those days wherever you wanted to dig a well, but it could be that it bothers people around you. And certainly the herdsmen of Gerar said, his well might be stealing from our water in our well. We don't like it. Potential conflict. But Isaac doesn't begin a battle with these herdsmen. He doesn't say, okay, listen, I dug this well. I have every right to stay here. He moved on. He moved on to the next well, even though he was powerful. In fact, the Philistines asked him to leave because he was so much mightier than they were. He could have battled for this, but he didn't. He moved on. And I know in our lives there are times when we feel we have the right to make a conflict about something, to make an unnecessary fight about something. There are people that are contentious and argumentative about things. There are people looking for an argument, looking for a fight, looking for a place to do battle. But I believe that should not be the life of the believer. I believe if we can avoid conflict, if there's a way out of avoiding conflict without compromising the truth or without allowing sin to continue, that we should do that. I like what it says in James 3, 17 and 18. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable. Now, it's interesting that the, the, right after pure, he says peaceable. He talks about gentle. These are all, to me, qualities of being a peaceable person, a peaceful person, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Hey, if if I'm an impartial person and I'm Isaac, I can say, you know what? I see why these herdsmen don't like me building a well here and digging a well here. They think I'm taking from their water, that we're tapping into the same underground water supply. So I'll move on. I'll find another well. He did that a second time. They didn't like it. They told him they didn't want him to have that well. So he moved on a third time. And finally, he found room in the land. Rehoboth, he found a place. And there are different types of conflict that we find in our lives. And let me, I've kind of put them into two a couple of categories, but uh, there are a number of conflicts that we can have. We can be a believer that has a conflict with an unbeliever. That, that happens. How do you handle that? Well, in our lives, we should always be concerned about having a testimony for Jesus Christ. Paul talks about this. He talks about rather, in 1 Corinthians, rather being wronged than compromising the testimony of Christ. He said, rather than hurting the testimony of Christ, I would rather be wronged. That's an amazing commitment to be a peaceful person. 
There are times in our lives when we have conflicts with unbelievers. There are times in our lives when we have conflicts with disobedient believers. People who are not walking according to the plan of God. We have conflicts. Here's another type of conflict. It could be believer with believer. You know, there are conflicts in marriages, for example, right? There are conflicts that come in a marriage. Both people can be seeking to follow God, and there can be conflicts within a marriage. And I believe, as we talked about last week, those conflicts can grow us up and change us. I'm reminded of the story of a young boy who came from from children's church. And his mom said to him, hey, what did you learn in children's church today? And he said, oh, we learned about marriage. And the mom thought, that's pretty interesting for a little boy in children's church to learn about marriage. What was the passage that you talked about when you learned about marriage in children's church? He thought for me, he said, when Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That was what we talked about when it came to marriage. See, sometimes we don't follow what the Word of God says. We're doing it according to our own thinking, our own sinful standards, right? But the Word of God is so clear. That in marriages, we're to have healthy marriages, not because they're perfect, but because we can take God's word and learn how to fight fairly, fight godly, to do it in a way that honors the Lord. That's so vitally important. Matthew 5, 9, that's the Beatitudes, right? Jesus said this, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. I want to ask you today, in your marriage, in your friendships, in your community, in your relationships with others, when you are wronged or when you feel hurt by someone, do you long to make peace? In your marriage, do you long to make peace? Are you a peacemaker? Would the people around you, the people that love you the most, would they say, hey, he or she's a a peacemaker, loves to make peace? I I see that in Isaac. In fact, if you go back to Genesis 26, it says this. When Abimelech, this is verse 26, that was the king of the Philistines, went to him from Gerar with Azuzah, his advisor, and Phicol, the commander of his army, Isaac said, why have you come to me seeing that you hate me and have sent me away from you? Right? So he was hated by Abimelech. Why? Because he was so blessed by God. They said, we plainly see that the Lord has been with you. So we said, let there be a sworn pact between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you that you will do us no harm. Here, Isaac was in a position of power to someone that hated him. The king of the Philistines hated Isaac, but now wanted to make a pact of peace with him, that you'll do us no harm. As we have not touched you and have done nothing to you but good and have sent you away in peace, you are now the blessed of the Lord. So he made them a feast, and they ate and drank. In the morning they rose early and exchanged oaths. And Isaac went, sent them on their way, and they departed from him in peace. That same day, here's God's blessing, right? Isaac's servants came and told him about the well they had dug and said to him, We have found water, and he called it Sheba. Therefore the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. Isaac made peace with the people that hated him. Love his emphasis on peace. And we are to be those peacemakers. And I believe this. Biblical peace is not the absence of conflict only. But it's the powerful presence of righteousness. That as we walk into a situation in which we experience conflict, that we would be committed to doing righteousness. To doing life God's way. To handling conflict God's way. 
in your marriage to always be looking for a way to forgive and restore, to always be looking for a way to avoid ongoing conflict. That's so important for the believer. See, a a peacemaker is a person who looks for ways to utilize God's word and God's principles to make peace. Now, here's a, a truth about being a peacemaker. There are healthy peacemakers, right? I believe a healthy peacemaker is this, and this is how I define it. Doesn't compromise the truth of God's word, right? That means when we stand up for Jesus Christ and the gospel and people don't like it, we're still going to stand. We're still going to hold on to the truth of God's word. We're not going to say, oh, we want peace so badly. We'll compromise what the word of God says. That's unhealthy peacemaking. We want to be healthy peacemakers. There will be times when we will stand for the truth. It will cause conflict. We will still stand. We'll still stand for the word of God. Here's another way in which we are unhealthy peacemakers. If we enable sinful behavior. There are people that will say, well, I know what they're doing is wrong, but I don't want to, I don't want to confront it. I don't like confrontation. I'm going to allow that sin to continue. That's called enabling. That's unhealthy peacemaking. We don't want to be an unhealthy peacemaker. We want to be a healthy peacemaker. We want to stand for truth, not compromise the truth, and not allow sinful behavior to continue. But the way we confront sinful behavior is always done in love. Always in love. Always with a goal of restoration. Always with the goal of getting that person back into a right relationship with God. That's healthy peacemaking. That's what should happen in a church. The beauty of the church is there are imperfect people like me in the church. And sometimes we do imperfect things. But God is growing us and God is changing us. And in a church, when believers come together and there are problems, we handle it in a way that honors God. There's an attitude that says, I'm quick to forgive. I'm ready to forgive. Why? Well, because Jesus forgave me. And if Jesus forgave me of everything I've ever done, who am I? And this is the parable of the unforgiving servant in Matthew 18, right? Who am I? If I've been forgiven so much, who am I not to forgive others around me of the little offenses they cause in my life? Husbands and wives, we need to be peacemakers. We need to be humble. We need to own whatever responsibility. Isaac kind of realized, hey, you know what? I'm moving into their territory. I'm building a well. They don't like it. Maybe if I were them, I wouldn't like it either. I'll move on. And I'll move on again until I find a place where God has given me room. See, he was a healthy peacemaker. He had an option to avoid unnecessary conflict. It brings me to the second point. It's this. When faced with conflict, choose a path that has the greatest potential for peace. Always be looking for ways to make peace. In relationships, always choose the path that has the greatest potential for peace. Even though Isaac was powerful, he could have contended with the herdsmen of Gerar. He could have said, no, I'm staying here. If you want to do battle, we'll do battle right now. He didn't do that. He moved on. He chose the path that had the greatest potential for peace. And God blessed him for it. In fact, the same day he made peace with Abimelech, the servants came and said, hey, we dug a well and we found water. God's favor on Isaac for being a person of peace. Romans 12, 18 says this, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. 
Live peaceably with all. As much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. What does that verse imply? There will be people that will not live in peace with you. For whatever reason, they'll hate you. Whatever reason, they don't want to have a relationship with you. They won't allow peace to exist between you and them. But as much as it depends on you. See, what that tells me as a pastor is, hey, Mel, I've got to look into my own life and see what I can change to avoid unnecessary conflict in my marriage, with my kids. Am I doing something as a dad that provokes my kids to anger? Am I, am I living in a selfish way? You know, sadly, we see uh, Isaac repeat the sin of Abraham, his father, by lying about his wife. He does the exact same thing. It shows the impact that a dad can have on a son, how a dad can weaken the moral character of his or her, uh, his, his, his child, or a mom as well of her children, if we compromise the truth and are unhealthy peacemakers. But if we do it in a healthy way, if we live for God, if we're always committed to following the truth of God, that means in all of our relationships, we are choosing the path that leads to peace. Doesn't compromise the truth. Doesn't allow a sin to continue. If someone's sinning against you, it doesn't mean you become a doormat. I'll be a peacemaker and just let this person walk all over me. That's not the word of God, my friends. The Word of God says if there is a sin, you lovingly confront it. And if it continues, you take another person with you. And if it continues after that, you bring it to the church. See, the Bible talks about confronting sin, but doing it in a way that ultimately is a healthy process. That's what we're to do. We're not to enable people in their sin. That would be a terrible thing for a church to do. In fact, a church should say, like Jesus says to us, we love you too much to allow you to continue in your sin. We want our church to be healthy. We want the people to be healthy. We want all of us to have a commitment to say, you know what, I'm going to do with my pride. I'm going to push it to the side, and I'm going to be committed to living a life of peace. 2 Corinthians 13.11 says this, Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for what? restoration. That should always be our aim, to have restoration. Why? Because we have restoration in our relationship with God that has filled up our life, and it flows out into every other relationship. And we say, you know what? I want to have restoration with people that I've contended with in the past, that I've had conflict in the past with. Says this, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. That's what I see here in Matthew, in Genesis chapter 26. Hey, Isaac, you oh, you've chosen the path, path of peace again and again and again. You've made peace with Abimelech. I'm gonna bless you. Here's this well on the same day. The God of love and peace will be with you. And my prayer would be that if you have a person in your life that you are in conflict with, it could be in your marriage, that you would seek to pursue the path of peace. As much as it depends on you, like Romans says, live peacefully with all. As much as it depends on you, do whatever you need to do. Maybe it's to, to take the edge off your pride and humble yourself. To take the abrasiveness out of your speech and speak more humbly. To speak more softly. 
to not always have the last word. The next time you have an argument, uh, if you're a person that likes to always have the last word, maybe this time you say, you know what, I'm going to let the other person have the last word. I have something to say, but I'm not going to say it because I always have to have the last word. I'm going to show that I don't always have to have the last word. To me, that's a sign of being a contentious person. To always have to make the last statement. To always get the last word in. To always be one up on the other person in the argument or dissension. Matthew 5 says this. Hey, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and this is powerful, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled or be restored to your brother. And then come back and offer your gift. What does that tell me about worship? It means this, that if there's something between me and a brother, and I've come to church to worship, and I know that there's this conflict between me and a brother, it's going to impact my worship. Jesus says, don't offer the gift yet. Don't offer it yet. Leave it there. Go and make yourself right, and then come back and worship. Reminds me of what we do in the Lord's Supper, right? We always remind everyone, you want to come to the table with a clean heart. You don't want to come harboring this known sin in your life, refusing to confess it. But knowing that Jesus died on the cross to free us from that sin, we're to eat from the bread and the cup in a worthy manner. What does that mean? That we deal with the sin in our lives. We deal with whatever is in our lives that may be hindering our walk with God. And Matthew 5 tells me, this will hinder my worship. I'm a contentious person and I have a walls between me and other people around me. It will hinder my worship with God. I'll walk away saying, man, I didn't get much out of worship today. I didn't get much out of the word of God today. It just didn't hit me. Well, Maybe that's because there's something in your life that's hindering your worship with God. Leave your gift. Go make yourself right. Then come back and worship. I want to give you some things that uh, tend to be peace destroyers, right, that destroy peace. Let me give you a few of them. Self-centered jealousy, to live a self-centered life, to be jealous of others. I don't know if you're like that. I've had people in my life that cannot be happy for me if anything good happens to me. I said, why aren't you happy about this? Why aren't you excited about what's happening in my life? I met this, I'm going to marry, why can't you be excited about me marrying? People that just don't enter into the good things that have happened in your life that God has blessed you with. And maybe you're that kind of person. That's living a life of self-centered jealousy. It's only important if it's something good that happens to me. I only want to tell people about the needs that I have. I want them to serve me. I don't want to serve them. I want them to serve me. If you take that attitude in a marriage, it will destroy the marriage. If you take that attitude into a friendship, it will destroy the friendship. Self-centered jealousy is a peace destroyer. I like what it says in James 3. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts... Do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is on earth, is earthly, unspiritual, and what? Demonic. It's coming from Satan. It's coming from the evil one. If you are jealous of other people and what they have, if you're living a selfish life, when are people going to serve me? That's from Satan and the evil one. 
For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. That's why a church needs to be a place of unselfishness. That's why Jesus so wisely gave us all gifts, not to serve ourselves, but to serve who? Others. Others to serve others. Because we don't want to live selfish lives all wrapped up in our needs and what we want. Because it'll never satisfy. It'll never be enough. I'll always want more. I'll always be in contention with somebody else because they have it a little bit better than I do. The wisdom of God is awesome. We're to humble ourselves and use our gifts to serve others. It's when you lose your life, Jesus said, it's then that you what? Find it. It's when you lose your life for me, Jesus said, then you will find it. That's the beauty of the cross. 2 Timothy chapter 3 says this, that people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy. That's certainly the characteristics of those who do not follow God. Well, we're not to be like that. Here's another uh, peace destroyer, destructive speech. I want to ask you husbands today, are you committed to building up your wife verbally in your speech? Do you compliment your wife? Do you build her up? Do you see the good things that she does and you praise her for them? Don't be a destructive speaker. Wives, do you build up your husbands? Do you compliment them? Nobody's perfect, right? We get that. We're all imperfect. But to highlight the good things that they are doing. I tell you, the people in my life that had that gift of doing that were the people I loved the most because they encouraged me. They built me up. They weren't tearing me down. With our children, are we, yes, correcting when we need to correct, but do we build them up in the ways in which we, we can build them up and the things that they are doing that are positive and following Scripture? Do we praise them for that? Do they clearly see that those qualities are valued in our lives? Ephesians 4.29 says this, Let some corrupting talk come out of your mouth. So Let a little bit of corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Is that what it says? No. It says, let no corrupting talk. Corrupting means you're destroying the other person. You're tearing them down. You're, there, there's this attitude of dislike as you're telling them the negative things about them. But only such as is good for building up. See, that's the kind of talk we should have. As fits the occasion. It's appropriate. It's not a plastic. Oh, you're so good. You're so wonderful. You're so good. You're so wonderful. It's not plastic like that. It's real as it fits the occasion that it may give grace or strength to those who hear. Here's another peace destroyer. Short-fused anger. It amazes me how many people will justify their anger. Their short-fused anger. When the Bible is very clear that we should put away anger. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. Husbands, next time you're frustrated with something your wife is saying to you, say to yourself, I'm not going to get angry. I feel my selfishness rising up. I feel my my short-fused anger rising up. I'm not going to let it out. I'm going to control it. I'm going to let this conversation continue and respond peacefully. 
Don't justify your anger anymore. Don't rationalize your anger anymore. Explosive anger is so devastating in relationships. In fact, in Ephesians 5.31, it says, put away all wrath, anger, and clamor among you. Put it all away. Don't, Don't do that. You don't have to yell at each other. Wives, same thing with your husbands. Soft answer. Positive communication. Not to allow anger to get the best of you. Here's another peace destroyer. Negative assumptions. Always assuming the worst about someone. Always assuming that you know the motives of what a person did and why they did it. The motives behind it. That's negative assumptions. We're not to be like that. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3 says this, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. See, when someone wrongs you, you bear with them because you want to maintain the unity of the bond of peace that you have in Christ. Don't always assume the worst about someone. In fact, the implication from 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, is love believes the best in someone, not the worst. Don't believe the worst. Believe the best. Always assume the best about the person. If you have to go talk to the person, you do. Or you do it in love. Hey, this happened, and I'm not sure why it happened. Can you tell me why you did that? I wasn't, didn't, didn't know why that was happening. Don't always assume the worst. Here's another peace destroyer. Unteachable pride. We get that, right? We, we think we're always right, that we can never have a part in this fight that we're having, this contention. It's not my fault. It's totally theirs. That's unteachable pride. Isaac moved on. He's like, okay, I get it. Maybe they don't like the fact that I'm building a, a well near theirs. I'm going to move on. Even though I'm powerful, even though I could contend with them, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to choose the path that leads to peace. Unteachable pride is a peace destroyer. You can learn something from everyone in your life. You can learn something from everyone in your life. Good examples and bad examples. Don't have unteachable pride. I like this verse. It's actually, it was my dad's life verse and it's become mine. Micah 6.8. He has shown you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy. When someone wrongs me, I'm going to extend mercy. And to walk humbly with your God. God, when you tell me to do something, I'll reject my selfish response that I would have taken. I'll follow your path. I'm going to walk humbly with you. Here's the last one I want to highlight. A condemning judgment is a peace destroyer. You condemn someone with all the facts, not hearing both sides. I hope you have the principle in your life. If I haven't heard both sides, I don't have the truth. If I haven't heard both sides, I cannot make a wise judgment about an issue in my life. Condemning judgment. James 4.11 says this, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks evil against a brother or judges a brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. What you're telling God is this. I know what the Bible says. It doesn't want me to speak evil against my brothers, but I'm going to do it anyway because I'm better than the law. I'm smarter than the Bible. I'm smarter than the wisdom of God. See, that's such arrogance and pride. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. It's not a place we're to be in. 
Here, let me quickly go to point three. When faced with conflict, prioritize a fired-up relationship with God. I love in Genesis 26, uh, Isaac does this. He first builds an altar, then pitches his tent. You know, when when he finds there's room, he builds an altar and then pitches his tent. He didn't take care of his stuff first. He built an altar first to worship God. He had a fired up relationship with God. It was more important that he worship God and build the altar than finding and building his own place to live. So as you live out your peace plan, let me give you some real practical advice. Pray for God's intervention. If there's a conflict in your life, pray, God, intervene in this situation. Uh, a stop relying on human effort alone. Uh, re- stop refusing to let it go. And if all possible, leave it with the Lord. It's just a small offense. There are the times you say, let it go. I'm going to leave it with you, God. I'm not going to make this into a fight. If it's a constant occurrence, then yes, it needs to be confronted in love. Here's the next thing. Examine your own heart. Where's your heart at? Stop ignoring the responsibility that you may have in this problem. Stop allowing anger to grow, but cultivate a heart of forgiveness instead. Examine your part in the problem. Colossians 3, bearing with one another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. Here's the next step. Address the issue now. If there's a conflict going on in your marriage, don't let it continue. The Bible's very clear. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. That means if there's a problem in your relationship today, deal with it today. Leave your gift at the altar and go take care of it now. Don't let it fester. Don't let it go on for weeks and months and even years. Here's the next thing. Confront humbly and under control. If you're going to confront someone about a wrong in your life, pray, God, give me a humble heart. I don't want to go in with a short, fused anger. And as soon as they say something I don't like, I go off on them and I get really angry. Always choose the path that leads to peace. Here's the last thing. Avoid bad communication as you confront. Don't clip the person's responses. Don't shout over them. Don't attack the person. Uh, Don't utilize attacking. You're an idiot. You're a fool. I can't believe you did this. Instead say, you know what, I felt hurt when this happened in my life. I felt hurt when you did this to me. Can you explain what happened? Why did, why did that occur? We need to talk this out. We need to work through it. Don't raise your voice. Don't yell and scream. It's never a good option. Proverbs 15.1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And lastly, extend grace in your response and your plan of action. As you work through any conflict in your life, always choose the best path to peace. If a compromise is needed, then you're willing to compromise and work it out in a way that honors the Lord. Amen, church? Amen. Let's pray together. And as your heads are bowed today, we want to do life God's way. And I know that there are times you cannot control the actions of others. But we can control our actions. We can control how we act and react. And Lord, I thank you for the example of Isaac, who wasn't looking for a fight, wasn't trying to get in a battle with all of his neighbors around him, took the path that led to peace, was quick to make peace with those who hated him. And Lord, I pray that we would be the same way. 
Lord, help us to be able to quickly forgive. Help us not to let little things cause major division in our relationships. But help us to look to you for strength. We love you, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together and sing this song. I believe in God our Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one. I believe in the resurrection that we will rise again. For I believe in the name of Jesus. For I believe in the name of Jesus. For I believe in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, we've elders up front who love to pray with you. Please greet one another and live this week all for him. Hey, don't forget we have Operation Christmas Child this Friday. So please come. Well, I praise, but you're...